Hello, welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And I am... Oh, yeah, I was supposed to introduce Nick. Oh, God, I completely <laughs> forgot. I was, trying to bring, I was trying to bring up the cat. We have uh, a special guest on today's podcast, who is my very good friend. <laughs> and my friend, too. <laughs> and, and also Mango's acquaintance. <laughs> They've known each other just a little bit. <laughs> Nick, hey, Nick, how are you doing? Welcome to the cast, bud. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, Nick was the uh, third. He's been on the cast before. He was the third GM for a Star Wars game, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we right. do that, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what, what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And one of the things that we did for quarantine is we started up a Star Wars tabletop game on World 20. We were playing the Fantasy Flight you know, Edge of the Empire rules, which use their own special die and everything like this. It's not a Roll20 system at all. Um, and we played for about this whole year until uh, we all just kind of... It seems... I, I almost want to say that it petered out, but it, it didn't really. It We just kind of got to a natural endpoint, and, uh, and it seems as though we're all comfortable ending the game. I guess. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, <laughs> where do you want to start? What is, What's like the most pressing thing on your mind when it comes to Star Wars? Uh, so hmm. I, I think we, maybe we should start with like a kind of like a survey of, of the systems, what we thought worked, what we thought didn't work. Um, uh, also, actually, also, um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I'm interested to see since Nick did, Nick did pre, pre-generated paths and we did our own custom stuff. So I'm interested yeah, to that's see true. What you, what, um, actually, why don't we start there? Nick, what did you think of the quality of the pre-generated paths since you ran pre, pre-run pre adventures? So, I thought the adventures that they had published were pretty well written and were able to actually give a fair number of different paths through everything, where it had written for a number of different contingencies or different options uh, to throw at the players, which I thought was really nice. Uh, half the time when I'm running a Pathfinder pre-published adventure, things tend to get pretty railroaded. So it's, all right, guys, get to the trade. We'll go to the next combat encounter. <laughs> Here's some skill checks in between. Uh, but this actually had a fair amount of um, options, which I thought was nice. At the same time, um, I wasn't necessarily the best at always bringing all of those in. But it also kind of fits when it. this is fundamentally a very narrative dice narrative roles driven game yeah um just just out of curiosity the ones you ran for us did we did like were like most of the things we did accounted for or did you have to do a lot of rising on the fly um there was definitely a little bit of improvising on the fly but there were a fair number of things that you all did that were actually accounted for um at the same time, figuring out what the right breadcrumbs to give you all was always a little bit of a challenge. Uh, one thing I saw with our party was that sometimes we would hit um, de- decision a decision freeze where it's like, oh, we have all these different options. Which one do we take? And then we debate it for like an hour. Yeah, that, yeah, we we that was true for every single one of us, no yeah. matter who was running. Um, it seemed like the there was always an hour of just deliberation until somebody sort of like took the reins and was like, "Okay, we're doing this," yeah, and yeah. like moved forward. Uh, so you know, and I definitely think that that's like maybe I don't know if I want to call it exactly a weakness because it was de- it was definitely part of like part of the thing that like I really enjoyed about the system in general was that like it felt 
kind of like delivered on the promises. You could kind of do whatever you want, right? Which is like a thing yeah. that's like supposed to be true about TTRPGs in general. But like with something like Pathfinder or D and D, um, well, you're not necessarily like running like you know. Sometimes you're running down the path, as Nick points out, with some of the the, the pregen uh, stuff. But like, um, it still feels a bit more constrained, right? Especially when you've been playing for a while. Like this is why I like playing with new people. Sometimes is like they're generally unconstrained by kind of like the like what you can do in the system thoughts and just kind of like oh. Well, like, I want to do this. And you're like, yes, you can do that. We'll figure out how to make the dice work for that. Where that kind of jaded, jaded players kind of don't have as much of that. Um, but yeah. I, I felt and like... that's something that I, that's something that I always treasure in these kinds of games, right? Like I like to do crazy play, like wacky plans. Right. And like seven C is really good about this. This is one of the things I really enjoy about playing seven C like when we go to Gen Con or whatever. Right. Um, which sort of gives you this freedom to, if you want to opt into off-the-wall, out-of-the-box ideas um, to, like, kind of make things happen. But I do think... I almost sort of think the... I guess I almost sort of think the that aspect of the plans are baked in. You know, like, you kind of have to assume that there's going to be a certain amount of, like, indecisive deliberativeness to everything if you want the payoff of players get like the satisfaction of making and executing their own plans that's definitely yeah i think i agree with that um that that or it could just be that the party hasn't gotten used to deliberating quickly enough yeah that with more practice at it we'll be able to make decisions faster as a group and we've been doing this for a year and it keeps happening so <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah i also think that <clears throat> it's it was a very open ended sense of like the game like we were we were always in like big giant locations mm. with lots of travel between them there was never any sort of deliberation about like how do we approach the next room in a dungeon which might be like the sort of deliberation you would see in pathfinder right or yep. or dungeons and dragons right um because we didn't really have any of those sorts of just like inside of a a very fixed location except for maybe the very first session which yeah. was that right um basically everything else was like you're in a big ass city and you get to move kind of narratively like scene to scene and traverse you know miles at a time without any issue at all yeah no and i think for combat having the positions be in ranged bands kind of supports that non-grid-based, non-map-based um, approach, where it's basically, oh, you're short distance, oh, you're medium distance, long or uh, extreme distance, um, definitely feeds into just the uh, mind's eye of the map as opposed to actually putting things on a grid. It's like, okay, exactly how many feet away am I from this person in order to determine whether I'm within range of this spell because I'm at this level. Yeah. Though I think in general, I mean, something that they say in the system for combat is that combat always has to sort of be a chase in, in like, the party is getting chased or the party is chasing someone, right? Like, it has to be driven by more than just wipe out the enemy team. And that ended out bearing fruit, in my opinion. The more combat was just we're trying to kill as many of these guys as we can, the less interesting it was. And the more that it was... um sort of driven by other concerns right like we're trying to escape the whatever before the timer runs out right like that that it creates a sense of like urgency um 
that I wasn't super, super used to, but I think the system is properly designed for. Yeah. Also, it gives the people who aren't great at combat something to do, right? Like, you know, yeah. funnily enough, it was the three of our characters that were like the combat experts, right? Like, you know, it was like, you know, whoever was running the game was the, you know, it was either the Omega and, and Argus show or like the Argus and Jad show whenever like pure combat came around and everybody else was kind of like, ha, huh, I waved my blaster at things. And then, you know, which I also think is kind of funny in a way because, um, I, you know, like one of the things that's interesting about this as like a narrative based game is that it actually does still scratch the itch that I have for crunch just because of the, the complication of the talent tree and how that um, affected my like decision making when it came to like experience and that kind of stuff. Right. Like I still sort of got the same feeling of like, oh, my numbers are going up because I'm investing talents and skills or I'm getting these, these talents that are proccing or whatever else. Right. Um, even if the game is mostly driven by a very narrative engine rather than a crunchy one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think my build kind of solved combat by the end where it was, even if I don't necessarily have perfect dice, I have as many green dice as I possibly can. Um, because my agility is through the roof. I have gun that's uh, full auto with the tinker so that it full autos on every single advantage. And I'm in Mandalorian Arbor and I've got all these perks that improve my soak such that I can't actually get hurt by Boast's uh, handheld weaponry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, that, I think you know, there, there's there's a little bit of stuff there, like, you know, a little bit of kind of fine-tuning there, right? Like, if we kept playing for much longer, I feel like, our, like you know, maybe that tinker on the automatic weapon needed to be tuned down or something like that. But I also don't think it was, like, super important, right? Because, like, you know, even though you, you were, like you said, you basically solved combat, it didn't keep, it didn't, like, make everybody else irrelevant because most of the, most of the, the game wasn't revolving around that. It was revolving around, like, other things, right? Like, other, other kind of, like, set pieces, you know, it was, it was yeah. revolving around that or, you know, like the other big example of this is like D four had like hacking solved like one hundred percent right yep. like um you you literally had like you know the only thing like you know you threw Lobot against him and like Lobot was like a minor challenge right and so and that's it I mean Which, he had to take that check two or three times but he had the talents to take it again yeah. <laughs> Which I think is might, funnily enough, is like a good strength, right? Like of the system, this D four felt like you know a hackmaster, um, and you know Jad, Argus, and Omega all felt like you know, you know, real good combatants or whatever, um, without being overbearing on the story, right? Like some something like Pathfinder and D anD D, it's like all about combat and ever, like you know, combat's like, I don't know, like D anD D calls it like one of the pillars, but it's like it's kind of like the strongest pillar. It's like most of like the the thing if that makes sense, um. Where like especially from like a systemized perspective, right? Like the the RP in the other systems, all you know, or in in India is is always fun, but it's like not a thing that you can systemize. Or if and if you try and like do too close to the rules, you end up cutting out most people because of we're, we, yeah. We're, I don't think people want that systemized. Yeah, you know, which is funny, but like it's sort of the 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 truth, I guess. Like um, people don't want to have complexity in their diplomatic situations in the same sense that they want complexity in their combat situations. Um, you know, and God, God help us. We fucking tried, right. Yeah. Uh, Hell's rebels was a, was a two and a half year experience experiment in this, which I would say worked in the sense that it got people who I otherwise would have expected not to get involved in 
the diplomacy stuff involved in the diplomacy stuff but the diplomacy stuff that i created we abandoned almost immediately yeah and i i i think the point is 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 less that that people don't want the complexity is that they want the complexity to be like natural speech craft right rather than like you know trying to systemize because that's like tough to do right like yeah So, um, but anyway, so I want to talk a little bit about like the structure of the, because this was structured in a different way than a lot of our other campaigns have been, which were very like obviously very narrative focused, right? And part of the, you know, like part of the buy-in for Hell's Rebels or you know, most any game we've played together has always been sort of the the essential railroading, right? In Hell's Rebels, it is the party wants to rebel against Bard's Lythrune and this oppressive like regime and that's kind of like taken for granted whereas in star wars it was much more open-ended than that right like the whole the whole point was to be fluid and allow players to um to sort of like discover their own paths forward and what they wanted to focus on and what they were interested in um how do you feel like that played out on like a top-down campaign-wide uh viewpoint Hmm. So I definitely think that like the 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 thing we did the thing you you pioneered essentially, which is like you know pick one of these three missions and we'll do it. Like you have enough structure there because like one of those things where like you need a little bit of constraint in order for things to really bloom. Um, mm-hmm. you know, well, like you know, I felt like if we wanted to, we could have we could have like pitched you a mission. It would have it would have gone fine, but we we never really hit that right. Like, but having the options there, I think, was really key. Um. I think again once we got on planet right like that like let things you know spin out a little bit more you know spin out a little bit more right which you know in a lot of cases was the you know find a terminal for d4 to hack and like you know figure out like, some, <laughs> some piece of information and then and then we'll you know develop a real plan from there um but you know I think I think that but I think that like felt very true to our party right like that felt yeah. like you know felt like a different party of people wouldn't have been doing that wouldn't have been like you know figuring out how this planet's internet could like get us like the the cool the like the dive bar to go interview or you know figure out the information for a certain thing or whatnot. Did you have any particular thoughts on it? Uh I guess the thing that I'm interested in is I almost sort of feel like I wanted to run this more along the lines of we talked about like the exploration based game in a, in a podcast a couple mm. of days ago. And maybe that would have been a good way to handle it where, you know, we almost could have created, you know, could have created um, a better sort of uh, like ecosystem for the different, like the different uh like like factions maybe maybe it's just because like i got too busy to continue gming and really and really like it was hard to hand hand off that portion because like i do sort of like the idea of like people like like players getting more ingratiated with one of the factions over the others and sort of like going deep on their sort of storyline in, in a way that even though i don't don't like this game that much in a way that like almost fallout 4 did right where they had the, the different factions and they each had their different storylines you could kind of play through them in parallel in a way um if you could kind of keep them happy with whatever their you know whatever the reputation was in that like in that game or in that experience um and i do think that that was cool 
but like it i guess i we never quite like realized the potential though i will say we i do think we did realize the potential of sort of the like spacefaring we there's another thing that we talked about like why is it so common to have this idea of just like oh a group of people and all you got is a spaceship and you're just flying through the universe doing odd jobs i feel like that really came across i do yeah i agree i think i think with the factions thing i think we were starting to get there right because like we liked the black suns the, yeah um and we hated the huts right yeah um and it, it took i think it took a little while for that to coalesce really solidly because everybody like because we all had kind of like different um you know like you know i had ties to the ashen legion and arc uh, hated the huts and had ties to, you know and like uh and argus had ties to the golden legion um or the golden golden armada, armada. yeah um because we were all we all had like those different kind of uh, obligations which i think was a very strong point in the system it, it stopped us from like kind of like as a part like i think to make that really sing we, we would have wanted the entire party to have coalesced on a faction and been like okay we're working with these guys now um yeah i feel like, like the, the ashen part. legion and black sun got a lot of action yeah um golden Armada got a little bit i guess and then uh the bad guys pretty much universally ended up being like huts uh the double r gang which was you know i i love the double r gang i had that idea for the longest time and i was just like god what a cool idea and i I also like the idea that the double r gang missions are sort of the freest it's just like hey here's a rival drug lab go fuck it up like you know like, i think i think there was a there was something cool about like those sorts of missions and there probably is a world in which like a more murder hobo party does sort of truly align with the double r gang in a yeah. way that in a way I think that we everyone was that. combat oriented we probably would have done some real missions for the double r gang but yeah. because we had several people that were very much non-combatants very much wanted to actually talk things out or find the peaceful route it was why are we going to go work for these obviously chaotic evil if this was D uh faction where all they want is destroy death destruction drugs murder mayhem um the idea was pretty good but they ended up basically being villains for the most part yeah i also think that uh the double r gang was hampered because one of the things that was motivating for players was the system the systemic reward so like the the golden armada gave raw credits um the uh the actually gave, gave raw experience right and the go and the double r gangs thing was ship upgrades which at the time you know we hadn't played the system and i made that decision it obviously made sense because the, these guys are you know like space, space bikers and mechanics and, or whatever else but like i didn't realize how little that would be on a priority list of like systems that players are really going to go for you know yeah so i think part of that was also the types of characters that we made while arc was actually pretty decent with the ship most of the party wasn't built around being on a ship so mm. we had a couple options where it was things that would have had us do more ship combat ship encounters and we said oh hell no let's p take the thick of the ground i think part of that too is like it's harder like in terms of like player expression right like unless you know you like you've got a specific fantasy about like being like a ship captain and like a an officer on or an officer on that ship is kind of like you kind of like blend into like whatever on the ship and so it's like less attractive to players if that makes sense yeah i also just don't think i think this is a big failure of the system i don't think the system made ship combat uh compelling 
you know, and this is also, I, I, I think this is true of every system we've seen with this, which is also Starfinder. Um, like, there is a version of the game where ship combat is itself really fun and engaging, and therefore we get more into it. Right, like I, I think back to like Empty Epsilon, which we played at a Gen Con a couple of years ago, right? Which is, um, it's like five people in a LAN or whatever, and uh, and you are controlling a ship, but it's sort of like Star Trek, right? You have a pilot who steers the ship. You have, you know, a scientist who's doing scanning stuff and is and is responsible for telling you where, you know, the asteroids are going. You have an engineer who's diverting power from here and there. And each of those kind of included their own little mini-games that was, like, fun and engaging to be a part of, right? Um and so I loved Empty Epsilon. I had a ton of fun playing Empty Epsilon um, because it really nailed that, like, five people doing asymmetric jobs in a party to all, like, move forward towards a common goal, right? Uh, and I swear to God, there has to be a tabletop version of that, but I have yet to see it. I think it needs to be a little bit more integrated with, with like, the player characters, right? Like, it has to be a thing that, like, it's designed for from the ground up. Um I think I think Star Wars is actually kind of a bad fit for that, um, because not every character, not every Star Wars character is a is a ship character, right? Like, yeah. Um, I think in a lot of ways you really need to have something be far more narratively driven, um, for that to really work, because you need all of these non-pilot, non-gunner roles to be a lot more compelling, whereas in pretty much every setting that we've ever played. Pretty much the only thing everyone else is doing is giving buffs to the stars, which is the pilot and the gunner. And if you're not either controlling the position on the map or actually dealing the damage, what are you really doing in any type of ship-based combat? And that's true here in Star Wars, that's true in Starfinder, that's true in Skull and Shackles for ship-based combat as well, unless you get into that uh, boarding-type action. Yeah. Um, at least that's like an option in, in skull and shackles though right is like you can like like you can i think the big the big thing is like making meaningful choices and it's really hard to make meaningful choices like even the pilot and the gunner aren't making choices that are super super meaningful but you know they, they are at least making choices um right uh whereas everyone else it really isn't much of anything so at that point you tend to just avoid the space stuff or anything where everyone's acting as a single unit. What I think would be more compelling if you wanted to do it would be something, if you really wanted to get into space combat, is have the party be an X-Wing squadron where everyone's in their own ship. Yeah. And once you put everyone in their own ship, then it gets to be a lot more fun and interesting. Yeah, or like you have have somebody in the Y-Wings Somebody in an X-Wing, somebody in an A-Wing, and now you have sort of strengths and weaknesses, right? Where it's like, okay, well, the Y-Wing is the bomber, and he can do the most damage, but he's, like, slow and vulnerable, so you need the A-Wing to be, like, you know, kind of uh, dogfighting to make sure... Like, I, I feel like that would absolutely that would absolutely work. I also think that there's a version of this that works, which um, uses, I guess I would say, like, parallel systemizing. Like, r- part, part of the problem in my view is that the game wants to be about like raw you know like on the ground combat right but it puts raw on the ground combat 
alongside all of these other sorts of things and kind of treats them as equal. I have a certain number of skill points and I can invest them anywhere. And I have to look at piloting next to light guns or whatever, you know, that, that kind of creates a situation where I always look at piloting and I go, no, oh, why would I take this? I yeah. want guns because like, I'm never going to, you know, like how often am I doing like space combat stuff? How, of, how often am I doing piloting stuff? And so maybe there's a version of things where you either like integrate it. Like you say, you know, piloting is a, is a more comprehensive skill that like encompasses more than just itself. Or like, instead of making gunnery checks to use a turret, you're using your gun checks. So like, even if I am like, so obviously I was using ranged light a lot of the time as Omega. Well, maybe the light turret also uses ranged light in the, in the thing. So like my combat abilities are then going one-to-one with my, you know, like my ship abilities or another version of this where it's sort of decoupled from that system and like as you are gaining some sort of you know like as you're getting some sort of progression in these combat skills you're also gaining progression in a parallel sense you know like maybe you have two pools of skill trees if that makes sense right and you can put five in range light and then five in gunnery without having to worry about them being mutually exclusive so i think the system actually did a better job of this than you give it credit for because this is really what argus uh chased which was well, I could put all these skill points into each of these individual traits, or I could see that they're all tied to agility, and that 90% of the things that my character wants to do are agility. So yeah. rather than invest in skill points, let's chase those dedications at the top of the talent trees and crank that agility up to max. Therefore, I have at least all of my green dice for the agility pool uh, maxed out for 80-90% of what I want to do. You know, that's honestly very fair. I didn't, I felt the opposite urge. I was like, it was so clear how powerful dedication was that I was like, you know what? Fuck you, dedication. I'm not taking you. I'm going to take the other things to be cool and not, you know, like, I I just feel like, uh, I, I think I, I think I might say that dedication was too strong. Uh, it's just so incredibly strong to take dedication, even for 25 points, even at the very top of the tree, even with a max of six, even with you only could take it like once or whatever. Like, it's just so much value out of just one investment of points. It definitely has a lot of value. However, it works a lot better when you force characters to be mad, when they can't just say everything I need is an agility. And mm. therefore, I only care about putting dedication into my agility. When you start making people need to use a lot more skills, then they can't be that one-trick pony. So I think in some regards, the issue is that agility was too good because it had too many skills associated to it. Yeah, this so, is sort of like the dex is the best stat problem in you know old versions of D&D. Yeah. Uh, so r- real quick before we keep going, buddy, you, you should uh, reset your camera. Your camera feed is like two seconds behind your your voice um well it's the end of the world um uh but uh uh yeah so i i think i think i generally agree right that uh uh that maybe agility's a little too strong i also think that part of this is like um to the ship part of it is like ships sh- sh- failures on the ship don't have interesting consequences right like it's all kind of very like the like the least interesting thing to do with an uh a, a, a advantage or uh a threat is to 
to like pick a number with it, right? Like to just do a die or whatever, right? The more interesting things are to use them to, to do interesting environmental storytelling. I think there's much less that you can do with that in like a, a dogfight. Um if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, we, I think I see what you're saying. Did we lose buddy? You got I'm it. trying uh, to, yeah, I'm still here. I'm just trying to figure out my camera. Okay. Um because this is like being a being a pain. Okay. Um but yeah, no, I I uh I I honestly think that like I think maybe like start was like ship combat's just like a hard thing to like do right because I'm, I'm thinking about like Star Trek and I'm thinking about Star Wars right like 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 the movies and like the shows like in Star Wars during the big you know fight scenes you know Princess Leia in, in like A New Hope Princess Leia and C3PO aren't really doing anything and that's fine because they're not players that need to be doing something to be having fun right or in Star Trek right like you know the captain and the gunner. Um, are doing things, but like you know, like the the ship's council, right? Like the 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 other kind of characters aren't necessarily doing stuff on the bridge during combat. Um, you know, like Quark isn't isn't you know isn't when there's like military stuff happening. Quark is not like busy tending bar. Like we're not cutting to him to to figure out what he's doing, or he's not doing anything that directly impacts the scene. Um, and there's not a lot that you could like. Like the star, like the 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 dogfight should take up that that scene. Maybe maybe the key there is like you know, you you make like the dogfight like a scene, and then like you have the other characters do something else in like another scene, or like I don't know, I don't know. It's uh, that's I think a tough thing to, to to juggle. Although I do think like the I don't think you necessarily need to do a whole X wing squadron, but like if you had like two people in X wings and like three people on the main ship then, like, the secondary people have to be making at least, like, semi-interesting choices about, like, what they're doing, if that makes sense. Like, you know, only one person can be on scanners and be repairing the, you know, the thing. But it's also kind of, like, it's, it's hard to, like, get those things to, other than, like, you know, I do the same thing and I make the same role, which is the big Starfinder problem. Right. Um, yeah, I also think that this stuff is really, uh, man, I did not fix my, my lag problem, huh? Well, whatever. Uh, I, I also think that those that stuff is not impactful, right? Like, it just feels so bad to spend a whole turn rolling a skill check to give somebody, like, a plus two bonus. You know what I mean? Like, I want to give somebody plus 2d6 on their damage by diverting power, not plus two, right? right. And um, and then part of it comes down to that, right? If there was... Uh, if there was just so much more value in being the the comms guy, in so much more value in being the you know I don't know whatever, whatever any other role is, as there is for pilot and gunner, uh, I think maybe it would be a little more like equivalent. Even if you know, I mean, it would be insane to be giving people two d six on their damage, but yeah, 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 that are like maybe making like secondary weapons more like if if you like pull down like the requirements right like if you can just have like anybody jump into like the secondary the tertiary turret right and like blast things and it's not the end of the world i don't know i feel like i feel like doing like starship combat could be like a whole episode on its own about like making that compelling in a general sense yeah um uh how, how did you guys feel about the star warsiness of the game right like i think there was some like you know we we had our diversion. We spent like you know uh, thirty minutes yesterday talking about the fate of Captain Panaka, or and, you know we had a previous uh, uh, session where we discussed like you know the canonicity of Sprite. But like I think we we had like good kind of like Star Wars tie-in moments, and sometimes it was a little distracting. But I think that, that that's part of the fun. Um, 
how how do you think we did in terms of like making it feel like Star Wars? Because I, I think part of the, the the trap you can fall into here is like you know you go into like the deep Star Wars lore, but like it doesn't feel right unless you're like ev invo evoking something from like a property, right? Like you know, you know that's an Ithorian, and I remember what Ithorians are from because you know I remember that scene from A New Hope, or like you know this kind of you know this uh, segment, you know evoke something from like one of the movies or something i think that's like key to making it feel right feel making it feel like approximately right like i think cloud city did a good job of this um what did you guys yeah think? i feel that way too i liked uh you know the the attack in the woods um it, this was like wall rubbers he was like hunting down you know like some wookie person that session like that felt very star wars to me i mean i guess there's a lot of star wars that felt specifically like the prequels to me whereas i would say some of the stuff that we did uh, in Cloud City felt more like the like the original trilogy. I don't really think anything felt like the sequel trilogy, but maybe that's just because the sequel trilogy isn't like doesn't have that same sort of like iconic uh, construction in in that yeah. sense. I mean, in fact, now that I think about it, I feel like a lot of the sessions I ran were very prequel themed because they were very oh, like war themed. If that makes sense, right? Surprise, surprise. You know, yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I think a lot of ways that depends on what your primary influence was. So, buddy, you were primarily influenced by the prequel trilogy and the lore of the prequel trilogy, which inspired a lot of your content. Yeah, that's uh, definitely true. For me, half my stuff was, or all my stuff was from the modules, and the modules were written with the expectation that it was run during the original trilogy. So there is inevitably a good bit of original trilogy homages kind of baked in that i tried to supplement um where where reasonable um yeah, for I'll, instance cloud yeah. cities right out of uh episode five yeah absolutely yeah oh, i guess six. not six no it's not really six that's that's my bad six. you know it's funny a long time ago we talked about a, a potential star wars game which generated a huge argument between you and I about sort of like the, I almost want to say like the ethics of like make setting a game inside of uh, like a well-established, uh, yeah, like like universe, right? Where the specific contention was, wouldn't it? I, I thought it would be very cool if players were were running the events of the like running parallel to the events of like the movies or whatever lockstep and then something radically different happens and it's like oh all of a sudden we have done a huge divergence from canon that was very cool to me you thought that was blasphemous we kind of sidestepped this by sort of setting it in the universe but like you know far enough away from all of that stuff that we never really had to like deal with it or interact with it that much um I don't know. Is there anything about that argument that you want to like revisit? <laughs> no, I mean, I I still think I'm right. Um, but you know, it's also like <laughs> I would say that I would agree with Mango on this, which is one reason why the only canonical character that I used was uh, Lobot, and Lando Calrissian was actually supposed to play a part in oh, that wow. module, and I was like, yeah, hell no, I'm not putting him in the same room as you fuckers because you're gonna try to kill him or something. Screw up the I mean, technically, it wouldn't matter, right? Because like it, th this all takes place after the, uh, you yeah, know, but... after the original trilogy. Yeah. So like, that wouldn't be as big of a deal compared to, you know, we watched Dark Darth Vader like marching Han Solo to the Carbonite Chamber and, and interrupted or something, right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we would have. 
Um, but you know, if if we had killed him, he wouldn't have been able to uh, meet. Oh my god, that woman <laughs> in episode nine. I, oh my god, <laughs> wouldn't have been able to like wink suggestively at his daughter, maybe. Um, <laughs> Yikes! Is what I have to say about that. <laughs> I kind of forgot how much I hated Rise of Skywalker, but you know, it, it's always nice to revisit that. I, I guess in some certain, yeah. Well, I, I do think that. I, I mean, I, I understand that you think that. I, I understand that you think that you're right, obviously. And we, and like I said, we sort of like sidestepped the issue. But I definitely think that it would be fun, sort of doing that, like, you know, tr playing out the alternate history of, in other words, um, a, like a fictional universe in the same way that, like alternate history is interesting from you know like like the alternate history of Watchmen, right is like narratively compelling or something kind of along those lines so i would also say that i'm not sure we could necessarily do justice to the true major lore characters and there's a measure of narrative dissonance created when the character is not acting perfectly with what each individual person's take of what character should be doing um yeah that. i think that's true i, I think, I and I think the answer would be to fall away from that kind of thing like i think it would be interesting to play in a world where i think this is the example that i brought up where the the yavin 4 assault on the death star fails the death star blows up the rebel base and you are now like and like that is the that is the divergence point but it's not like you're on yavin and hanging out with luke skywalker but like you are now living in a universe where luke skywalker is dead and the death star is is still around and what do you do from there right like that that seems like a like a a compelling situation which is more about the dynamics of the world i guess than it is about like the 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 characters themselves yeah, that or or uh, hire Mark Hamill to to play Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get on Cameo. Is that the app where you can like hire people? Yeah, well, yeah, but Cameo is like pre pre recorded things. Just yeah, nah, but yeah. Um, I I just wanted to shout out to 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 chat arc or you know friend of the chat uh, of the cast uh, fail talking about his character arc how how arc would I guess seduce Lando Calrissian. The implication <laughs> is there, uh, which is very on brand. A plus. Um uh but uh what else uh hmm. so I, I, is is there is there anything about your characters that you didn't get to do that you wanted to do um there are i a guess lot of i guess argus got really powerful and will never be able to realize that power right like because <laughs> I was GMing for almost the entire time after I got my Mandalorian armor. There's been like one or two sessions after I hit like peak Mandalorian where um, I wasn't able to really just show off and kill a whole bunch of guys by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never like got to like use the jetpack and do super cool jetpack shit. I'm not sure I ever quite got to the jetpack. I probably would have yeah. bought that after finishing my session. So if we ever do go back to it, Argus will have the jetpack, but never really showed that in any of the game sessions. Yeah, no, I, I got, I got lucky in that, like, I got the opportunity to shoot my big gun, but like, you know, I like, yeah, I never got to like act in any of like what I thought were the more interesting parts of his character, which you know, like the, the kind of like weird gun nationalism type stuff. Um, mm -hmm. it's just like 
you know, it, it, that was probably a bad character motivation fit for the for the campaign. Um, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I had a great time. I like the the interaction that I ended up having with Eliza might be like the highlight mm -hmm. of Star Wars, uh, where like you know, hmm. where Omega had to explain to a Jedi that like he was not a a a stormtrooper larping as an arc trooper, basically for in in her eyes, right? And that also happened in another session, um, where where like. Omega's background had to, you know, like, like factored into things, um, with the, you know, with the, uh, the separatists of whatever that heist one was called. I'm trying to think of the, the name of that, that mission. It came up both times there. Yeah. I, I think the ARC troopers got like a, a pretty good kind of like hook into like things that are happening. Like, Cause that's like such like a, an integrated part of the lore, right? Like it's like the closest you can get to being, um, like, a member of like the cast, right? Like, you know, like playing Luke Skywalker or whatever is playing like a stormtrooper or an arc trooper or like something like, you know, like, I feel like if you, if any of us had played like a, like a, like a member of the rebel Alliance, right? Like a member of the rebel forces that could have worked too. But like, or like, I think Kento had some pretty cool stuff in there too, but you know, Charles ended up having to, to drop the game. Yeah. Reasons. I mean, I do, I do regret in a way, sort of the construction of aspects of the game um story-wise like i think obligation is a neat system and uh and i honestly would like to use it in other places right like we've talked about continuing forward with different games or whatever in this time slot and i could see a world where it's like okay we're also just going to kind of port over obligation because i think it's neat but one thing that sucks about obligation is how personalized it is um which can sort of lead to a you know if everybody gets to do an obligation mission for themselves right they are they, like that excludes the four other people and if you had to do one for each person that'd be like five missions which is like a month and a half of of D&D &D, which i think is which is, is a little bit rough i think in general i sort of like the the version of this that we used to do which was the ties that bind which were connections between our characters in, internally to the party right so that Atticus was a mark yeah so Atticus and Colbjorn Voss are brothers and they're sort of like connected in that way and now all of a sudden instead of having five different axes for obligation you have two two and a half or whatever or whatever that kind of like looks like um because i like the idea of this thing that just kind of like pops up and is and is a, a and is something that interacts with the with the party and throws a wrench into the narrative but i feel like the i would want it to be or maybe maybe actually i think a better example of this might be big red which was a good example of obligation because everyone was invested in Big Red in a certain sense, even if um, yeah, because he, yeah, he, every... he he came up through the story and he just tied into something, right? Like I, I think I think this is maybe one of the weaknesses of obligation because I think you're right, is that um, like a kind of I don't know, at least from my perspective, I wasn't thinking about those individual things unless the role brought it up, right? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like. Like, if I had been thinking constantly about, like, how can I tie this in, it might have worked better, right? Like, because, like, the, the next credit, the the tie-in to the Ashen Legion being, like, the, you know, the, the force behind one of the bitters that came up when I rolled Obligation on it, when Chad rolled Obligation about it. Like, that being a thing that wasn't necessarily on a roll, like, a thing that, like, you know, you had always anticipated happening, uh, which you can't do, really, with the Obligation system quite right, right? Like, unless, you know, you roll the, the Obligation behind a thing and be like, oh, I guess it was Jad this time, right? Like, that kind of thing, which I think kind of, like... 
I think you want to mix like, you know, kind of like those bespoke kind of like, you know, this is the way a thing that should a hook that works versus uh kind of like a, a forcing on the fly to make it work. I think they're both valuable, but I think you want to like bake in a little bit more of the, you know, like this is a thing that's going to happen part of it um, on so, your own. In some respects, um, Zekrafol was going to be a key player in that regardless. And honestly, the mechanic that was built into the session was if you flub with a lot of threats or despairs on a number of your rolls as you're trying to go stealthy, she gets hits on you guys, and when you hit a counter, then she finds you guys. That was the mechanic that was kind of built into the campaign. However, when I rolled your obligation, I just said, oh, hey, screw that mechanic. It just auto-triggers on you because, oh, hey, she's technically Imperial. Well, Ashen Legion is supposed to have come from the Empire at some point in time. Therefore, she's not an Imperial. She's Ashen Legion. And therefore, uh, I was able to kind of force the issue to make the obligation work. And in a lot of ways, that's where the obligations tend to be best, was where you could kind of force the issue. There was another time that ultimately we didn't get to the bottom of the story narrative, but for Omega, um, you triggered during my first um, campaign arc where it triggered while you're on the abandoned planet and uh, kicks. I was like, oh, hey, he's your person. and you triggered here, and there's supposed to be Imperials coming in to uh, attack while you were trying to rescue there. So let's just stick kicks in the mix and have that sort of seed where you see the Death Trooper and you just run the fuck away. Yeah, I, that was a great, that was another really was. great moment. But the thing is, is that because it was like randomized, like, so Fairland in the chat says, honestly, obligation should be earned in game and not made beforehand. In a certain sense, I agree with this. In the, because it creates it creates a more party centered like even if obligation is directed towards an individual person we all had a stake in big red like i said but i also think that there is something to be said for the the randomization aspect of obligation not quite working out because i feel like when i was running hell's revels there was a frame of obligation in that system because everyone had a different window into sort of like the rebellion right so um in that charles's character was playing an elf and his elf mentor comes to holy shit what is the name of the what was the name of the the town that you guys were in for the entirety of that whole campaign Kintargo. Kintargo, right the his his elf mentor comes to Kintargo. they're doing they're doing stuff right um obviously beauregard was intimately involved with one of these houses and was you know like doing that kind of stuff um you know, there was all of this interaction with Rahadum, which is where Enoch's character was coming. He was he was a laying in from Rahadum, and you guys were negotiating with Rahadum as kind of this big, you know, extra national force that was going to back you up in your fight against Chaliax or whatever. And because that had been determined beforehand, but like as the GM, I got to sculpt the narrative around those plot points themselves it was able to like weave more naturally into the game rather than like well we roll the dice at the end of the at the beginning of the session and now on, on the fly okay here you here you go you gotta you gotta do obligation right um so yeah. maybe i like obligation in that frame more than in the way that star wars systemizes it yeah, I, at I, the I, same time this is also a consequence of us having such an open setting 
for our campaign, where it was very much a pick a mission, and based on which mission you pick, you have different factions involved. So if you rolled an obligation that did not involve these factions, then, well, sucks to suck, you're yeah. not going to be able to yeah. shoot one. Yeah. That is insanely true, because this campaign, in a certain sense, in Western RPG sense, this campaign was built like a fallout. Whereas Hell's Rebels was built more like a Mass Effect, right? The choices in in Hell's Rebels were big choices that had monumental consequences that happened at set points in the in the narrative, right? Choosing to ally with Barzlai Thrun at the end of the third book rather than fight against him, like that was a huge that was a huge huge plot point that determined the entire rest of the game, which feels more like how storytelling in Mass Effect was happening, where like you are. You know, you're making decisions about uh, a, a singular track that can sometimes diverge from what, what would otherwise be expected. Whereas Fallout 4, you know, like you're doing you're doing these parallel tracks, these parallel quest lines. You can be progressing the the railroad and you know the Minutemen and the the Enclave all you know in lockstep with one another until you have to make you know whatever kind of choice between them. And so maybe like obligation. As as we ran it was the best that we could do for an open ended Star Wars game where the point was that there wasn't really that kind of like strong narrative through line connecting all of the all of the sessions. Yeah, because like if somebody's not involved, what, what you have is like you have to like have someone radio in, right? That's what happened with Argus's obligation in the Cortellier storyline, right? It's like somebody from the Golden Armada had to radio in and tell them to do something because the Golden Armada wasn't otherwise involved, right? Like, they had to have mm-hmm. an extrinsic kind of motivation. Whereas if you're running a a plotted campaign, right, like, hopefully those connections make themselves more apparent. I think something we could have done that to make it a little bit better would have been, like, when we picked the mission to just roll obligation right there to give the GM some time to figure out how to work it in. Um, uh, or, like, other things like... Um, like, so, to, to Fail's point, right, about... Uh, should be earned and not made beforehand. I think part of that's a consequence of us having a lot of characters that kind of also cycled in and out weren't necessarily the most consistent, which I think was kind of a mark against it. Like, I think, I think fails, right? Right. That should all like, you have that many and that kind of like inconsistent characters earning it in game makes a little bit more sense. I think, um, because you can kind of build it up and you make sure it's something that the party all has to, to work with. Um, whereas like a smaller party, I feel like even if you had, disparate individual things like they quickly become part of the party story um uh right like you know us pulling obligation for black suns would have made a lot of a lot of sense but like like you said big red worked because even though that was primarily an argus thing um when it wasn't directly actually tied to his obligation it was just kind of like tied to who argus was as a character um and uh and and two it was something that like Came from in game rather than being something bolted on from the exterior story, but it, um, I think it could have worked if like if like that was like a if you know dealing with the golden armada was a thing that we constantly had to do as like a four man party say because of Argus's past. Um, yeah. Do you think uh, you know like like looking forward into like let, let let's assume we're all continuing the Sunday like slot? What would you like to like play next? Like what what is on your mind for? like this group of players hmm. like do would you want to go back to something more with a with a uh, uh a more solid narrative spine would you want to continue with the you know like the very open-ended sort of style i think it depends i think like i think this group was good for like vaguely hijinks right like this 
the story wasn't like super hijinks, but it was also like not super serious, right? And I think that that meshes well with this group of people, um, especially kind of like, you know, we're playing online and we're not playing with webcams. And so there's like a little bit of tendency to kind of go into kind of like, you know, maybe people aren't paying the most attention. And I think like light hijinks is the right kind of mold for that. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know what captures that, the, <clears throat> what kind of system captures light hijinks the best. Like I'm thinking of a couple different things that like, uh, um, and you also want, I think you also want something that's like a little bit, huh? What do I think? Do I think, do I think, I think actually online games are better served by like a, a solid battle map, right? Like I think the more narrative games work better when you're all sitting around a table and you're looking at each other and you get like good kind of like facial interactions and you can like not necessarily talk over each other, but like talk kind of like as a group. It's harder to do that on voice chat because of just the mechanics of like voice over IP essentially. Um, uh, so like, I think that we could like, there'd be some really great fun games that like, you know, if we all like, you know, Rent a cabin in the woods. I'll you know go out there for a week and play some cool stuff. I think there's a, there's some good games this group could play, but I think I'd want something a little bit more mechanically focused. Um, uh, story wise, I think it could go either way. What are your thoughts, Nick? For some reason, I had an epiphany of a game that I think would fit this slot, this group, this setting really well. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of it, but I have it in my head. So now I'm trying to look it up. Have, have we played it before? Uh, like, do we play it at Gen Con? Uh, I can't remember. I have not. That doesn't mean you guys have not. Fair enough. What's what's the what's the thing that makes you think makes it fit so well? Like, like what's you you have like a, the concept in your head? Ah, shit. It, it's like, uh, it's something you probably would actually know it. Um. So it's like a mixture of like Western and fantasy. So it's got a bit of tech, a bit of other stuff. It is pretty adaptable to a lot of um, flavor on the fly where you can kind of make all sorts of bullshit. And I'm doing a terrible job of describing this. So uh, come back to me in just a second. I'll okay. see if I can remember the name of it. What what are your thoughts then, uh, uh, buddy? Uh, I think personally, I'd want to do something more narrative. Um, just on my like, I think that's something that interests me on a GM level. Actually, that's not true. I think really, if I really wanted to do this, I would actually want to buckle down and make that exploration campaign we talked about. But that would that's like an impossibility. <laughs> Come on, I'm never doing that. <laughs> but I could definitely see. I could. I I I I sort of miss that after after a year of Star Wars. I I like the idea of having you know very very like clear straightforward kind of objectives and like when a session starts we can say okay you got last time you guys got the gem of Osiris and you loaded it into the barge. This time you have to get the barge from this town to the next town downriver and you know that there's you know goblin there's a goblin warband on on your tail that's going to be trying to like harangue you right i it's so it's so much easier to just like go in those in those sorts of situations um that i do sort of miss that and i think that that was that would be what i would want to do that's fair though probably not by the way i i, I think i want to not do D D or or pathfinder 
Um, one thing that I really loved is was not doing those systems. I mean, that probably affects you guys more. This is like my only game. That's not true. I do have a D&D game. But, you know, you guys play a lot more D&D and Pathfinder because you have the other games that I do. So it, would you want to switch? Like, how, how, how interested are you in doing systems that are not D&D and Pathfinder? I think I'm very – so I play in uh, 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 four or three, three or four different Pathfinder games. No, I play – Three Pathfinder games and one D&D 5e game. So something something different would be great. <laughs> um, this is my only non-D&D game that I'm playing, uh, or, you know, non-D&D type game that I'm playing um, consistently. Um, you know, we weren't playing consistently for a while, now it's over. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did pitch that Warhammer game. Warhammer might be what I would vote for, but that's a soft vote in the sense that it's just kind of the only idea I have. The, the, for, the, for the viewers at home, the idea behind this Warhammer campaign is I thought it would be um, neat, I guess I would say, uh, to run a, a version of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay that is sort of set in the same world idea of, um, of Total War Warhammer. Because one of the things that makes Total War Warhammer neat is that, like, there are there are factions like all over the place and they just announced you know like for instance they just released a new update with a dark elf uh, who who starts just northwest of the of the empire there's a lizard man that starts just northwest of the empire right in in a total war warhammer game you see so much movement on the map because it's a, a grand strategy game that's like it would not be crazy for vampires to march on altdorf or for Norska to march on Altdorf, or for any of these other, you know, sort of disparate factions to be, you know, kind of battening down uh, or, or uh, barreling down on on kind of the Empire. Whereas Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay lives in a world where you just kind of assume the Empire is the Empire in its own unique thing, and it's not really like threatened from from the outside, but. That's 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 a very that's a very half cooked idea. Uh, Phil in the chat mentions that he would love a five E session, which you know what? Fair enough. I honestly also maybe could be convinced to do five E, uh, just on the on the basis of um, not having played a lot of it. Uh, but I, I I really enjoyed like getting out of the like breaking out of the mold and playing uh, and playing a different system. So I feel like my, my default would be to try try something else that was sort of like Star Wars and that it's not in that, I don't know, clear mold. Oh, pff, fail singing my song. Let's go back to fourth edition. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I, I'm quite okay with not going back to fourth edition. <laughs> oh, I miss you every day, fourth edition. <laughs> the fourth edition Actually, is what kind of drove me to Pathfinder. I mean, you know, it's funny. I do actually, I do agree with that. I think that fourth edition is worse than Pathfinder and has a lot of problems, obviously. But it's funny how much I still use fourth edition in my like, in my like fourth edition is so foundational to my understanding of the game, right? Like it it, it codified those enemy types, right? Like I think about that all the time. Having a brute, a soldier, right? The uh, whatever the ranged guys were called, oh. artillery. Um, I feel like that was one of the most important things that i learned as a gm was like creating monster groups with those sorts of archetypes i would definitely say the monsters i remember you running before you got super deep in 4e versus the monsters you were running after fourth edition um combat probably improved a bit when we were trying to co-gm and you're coming up with some of the monsters for that that was very much just throw numbers at the wall and see hope it's balanced yeah, um, I, I think, well, the Pathfinder best series is okay, 
because it does some of the, the stuff. One of the things that was so great about the fourth edition bestiary was just like having a very clear sheet of like 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 powers, right? Like it, which are essentially like boss mechanics almost, right? Like in a Warcraft sense. Um, right. Like that was so so useful compared to three point five, where you know, like at the time, I felt really like lost as a GM. It's like, okay, well, I guess it has bite, so it bites you over and over and over again, and that's it. It doesn't do anything more complex than that, which is not really like a ding on three five, just because of like no. where it 3.5 was. Three five definitely time. had the tools. I think it was more where we were in our maturity. Yeah, and I also think three five was built better to describe a world using game terms than it was to create a game you know what i mean like that the enemy archetypes that are in fourth edition are very clearly like this is about creating interesting gameplay for your players wherever some whereas fourth or 3.5 is like the ankeg is a naturally occurring creature that has this behavior you know and it could pop up in your game um which that i think are a little bit most you know editions. yeah Play some Deadland. Was it called Deadlands? A supernatural western is uh, is fail is Deadlands. Deadlands is a uh, Savage Worlds thing. Um, although there's a classic. I actually was big on Deadlands. Was actually its own thing, but it is available in a Savage Worlds version called Deadlands Reloaded. Uh, and it was either Deadlands or Savage Worlds that I was thinking of when I was thinking of the thing. So that would be something that uh, I would potentially be interested in. At the same time, I probably wouldn't be the most comfortable with running it. Yeah, Savage, so, Worlds, Savage Worlds is weird because it's got like escalating like dice, like your dice get bigger um, as you get better at things. Like you roll like higher, like, you know, larger dice. Like you go from like a D4 to like a D6 to like a D8. That's cool. Yeah. Um, something that I, I've, I've been thinking about, um, it's not fate, um, but I, I was about to talk about a fate thing, uh, which is... Uh, uh, Spirit of the Century, which is this game that I've wanted, that I've like, I have. You have talked about this a million times, times yeah. yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, it's like a, a steampunk, like pulpy thing, but like the thing, the, the thing that got me hooked on it was a uh, one of the powers in the game is if you're like kind of like a deceptive type character, is like you essentially you exit the scene, and then at some point you just like like one of the boss's minions, you say like, I'm actually that guy in disguise. Um, and you just pop back in. And that was like, that was the type of like creativity that like, just like sung to me. It's like kind of like being like a super cool thing to do. So um, there's like, there's so many systems out there. Like there's this, I think it's called city of myths, which is um, basically you like make yourself into a, a superhero, but it's like modeled after like, like a concept. I, I have to go find it again, but like, like you model yourself after like a concept or like a value, but like the story I read about it was like somebody built a character based on kind of like being based on kind of like the the model of like Michael Jordan rather than being like a you know like a an abstract value or something. So it's something like that I think would there be there are like, a bunch of superhero games out there. Uh, I really liked one of the ones I like is Marvel is the Marvel game because the Marvel game doesn't actually have skill checks, uh, which I think is really neat. It just has. Um, you it has resources like if you want to do a thing you have to expend resources to do it right like you spider-man can never fail at web slinging but if spider-man wants to web sling he will have to you know burn resources in order to in order to accomplish that which i always thought was a really neat you know like a really neat system yeah that is that is cool because it's like that's an interesting idea because never don't do the cool thing you just lose 
like kind of like the the stock to do it if that makes sense. You don't try and do a cool thing and fail at it, which I think makes a lot of sense for a superhero thing. Yeah, that is cool. Very cool. There's a system that I I remember that had like like intentional failing forward in it that I like you could choose to fail a check to get like uh, a thing. There's a couple different versions of this. The ones that I thought were really good were like you know you pre you pre-register like what your characters kind of like uh like sins are you know like their their like character flaws are and when you play into them you you get a reward from it like you know like you like or like this, is, this might be a seven c's thing where like the 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 gm can be like you know the um uh your flaw is calling you to act in a certain way and you can do it and i will give you this reward but you can also deny it and like if you think it's going to be too too bad right like you know i think yeah. is a, a, cool, a cool way to do it but there's so much there's there's so many systems we just play everyone is john for like 12 weeks straight that would be a thing <laughs> um but uh i think we're over on standard time uh let's uh let's talk about our weeks a bit uh nick you've 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 had the longest week since you were last on the show uh, <laughs> how was uh how, how's, how's your uh your personal uh, your you know non-topic stuff been um Things have been fine. I've at various points played more or less video games. Um, I think the last time I was on, I was talking about playing through the Baldur's Gate series. Um, I forget how far I was at the time. Um, I ended up getting to near the end of the Shadows Vom campaign, and then I dropped it for a bit, or for quite a while, and then I've kind of come back to it more recently again to try and push a little bit for for the end game um kind of currently stuck on the lich kangax who's one of the toughest bosses in optional bosses in the shadows of bomb campaign um otherwise uh i've gotten hard on the legend of heroes trails of cold steel series which is combination jrpg and honestly uh vn because it's just got so much fucking texted story to it that it's half like virtual novel at times um otherwise i pick at ff14 here and there but i'm not really going that hard on that uh so those are some of the main things i've been playing in the downtime very cool did you did you watch the Snyder Cut? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe I was commenting on oh. your cast for that. Yeah, you're right, you're right, and you were also in the chat for uh, for uh, King Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus King yep. Kong. Definitely commenting on both of those yeah. from the chat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's the? It's this is the nice thing about HBO Max, right? Is that it's doing all these big releases because Mortal Kombat is coming out. Um, I think oh, it's the that next awesome one. Yeah, it's the next one. It's the next big one that comes out on uh, on HBO Max. So I don't remember where it's going to, uh, or wh- or when it's going to come out. It might be May. Is it really that soon? Like, I, I, it's this year sometime, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, it's like the the Mortal Kombat movie was like, as far as I, I thought it was like announced like a couple of weeks ago. Like, or at least the trailer dropped for it. Uh, we, this can't be right. This is saying this Friday. Wait, really? No way. Are you kidding me? 
Guess we're gonna have to push the Outriders. Holy shit! It is this Friday. Oh, oh I'm so excited. Wait, U.S. April 23rd. That might be the international date. It might be another. Week. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, because there's also the Suicide Squad. I know that's in August. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's April 23rd when it goes into the HBO Max. So not next episode, but the cast after. Hmm. Very, very exciting news. <laughs> oh man. Well, the original cinematic Mortal Kombat's are movies that I have watched more. To- the only movie that I've watched more than the original Mortal Kombat is like Star Wars, uh, like the original trilogy. Everything like we so we made a drinking game out of Mortal Kombat in college, and uh, it's it's a, it is such a stupid movie, but it's so much fun to watch. Um, <laughs> it is pretty fun to watch. I I think I agree. Is is it your favorite comic book or uh, video game movie? I mean. Maybe just I do have a soft spot in my heart for for the Super Mario Brothers movie, but uh, yeah, I think mine is probably Warcraft, but yeah, that's, that's not a hard throne to de. That's not a hard movie to dethrone. I was just like, trying to think, like, it's like Detective a... Pikachu. Like I think Detective Pikachu is better than Warcraft, but I enjoy it less. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Sonic, Sonic was great. I might. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic, <laughs> yeah, but like Sonic was great. Like. It's like saying the room is my favorite movie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, it's the same thing with Mortal Kombat, right? Like, yeah, like, that's true. I guess for sure. And like Sonic, like I like genuinely enjoyed in parts, right? Like you know, like uh, what's it like? Uh, Jim Carrey was like great in in Sonic. Like I would I would go back and watch Sonic, like you know, just to relive it. Whereas like Mortal Kombat was always like this is so dumb. It's gonna be great. Um, Annihilation. The best, my favorite part about the second Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, was Jax figures predominantly, and like Cat and uh, what's what's her name? What's the uh, uh, Sonya? Sonya, um, like, you know, like it's like, and they killed Johnny Cage, and Jax's like, who the fuck is Johnny Cage? Like, because he, he, he wasn't in the first movie. It's just like, <laughs> it's it just so perfect. But the, it's it's just so, such a worse movie than that than the first one, and the first one's not great. Um, so. I'm interested to see what this what this new one's like, even though there's gonna be no Johnny Cage in it, which is make will make me make me cry. And there's like some new original character. Bye. Yeah, it has my boy Hiroyuki uh Sonata, who is uh a, a, a Japanese actor who kind of crossed over, but he's in he's in Westworld, which was amazing and great. And he's in a couple of other things that I can't remember, but he's Scorpion in that movie. And I remember seeing him and I was like, Oh, my boy. <laughs> so I'm I am I am big excited for Mortal Kombat for sure. Oh, me too. Just because you know, uh, Mortal Kombat's uh, a movie. You know, like like I said, I've got that history with it. Um, there's, there's like all sorts of weird sequels on the horizon. Like, is, didn't they say there's gonna be like a Face-Off sequel or something? Which is like, Face-Off's great, but like, I don't know how you give that a sequel, like, in a way that's like meaningful. Uh, you know. Yeah, I, it might just be a remake. I feel like a lot of those are just sort of like remakes of like weird stuff from the '90s that people are people are into. I don't know how you remake. Like part of what makes Face Off so good is it's John Travolta and John Travolta pretending to be Nick Cage. And Nick yeah, Cage like who is the modern John Travolta that I would put in that role? I, I think the big like the bigger thing is like who no, who's just who's bring him back. Yeah, I was gonna say like <laughs> you need like you need Nick Cage and you need John Travolta to pretending to be Nick Cage, and I don't think you can replace John Travolta. 
I think he's probably a little bit easier to replace. You just have someone like pretending to be Nick Cage, but like I don't think you can do have someone do it like and not be like super cheesy about it. And there's no one that's Nick Cage enough to be besides Nick Cage. Yeah, I mean Nick Cage is pretty unique. I you know I'm just trying to think of like who are people that have like done like Oscar winning performances and that are also like absolutely insane. Like who's one who's one best Oscar or best actor at the Oscars for the past like 10 years because like is there anybody among those number that that are just like funky enough that we could call them you know uh like the the modern i don't know like the modern version of nick cage or could pull off like that all these guys are too serious like i'm looking at like joaquin phoenix right like gary oldman i think joaquin phoenix might be able to do it Eddie Redmayne, Casey Affleck. Matthew oh, Eddie Redmayne could definitely fucking do it. Have you seen oh, that, Jupiter Ascending? Oh, that, that's fair. Eddie Redmayne could maybe get it across for sure. <laughs> oh my god, the artist. I forgot about this. Do you remember the artist? No. It was the silent film. It really sucked. Uh, it was the silent <laughs> film that like won all the Oscars in 2011, 2012, 2011. Huh. You know, maybe, maybe Bradley Cooper looking at it, Bradley Cooper would be a pretty good option for like the John Travolta. He sort of is like the he sort of has the same career path as John Travolta, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I could buy that. Um before we get too too far down like weird theoretical castings for uh you know what is it? Face off remakes. Uh how was your week, buddy? Oh boy, what did I do this week? Besides of just a million, a million mythics, um, I played Outriders, which we're obviously talking about next week. Though I will say, just on a high level, Outriders is very good, and it really has captured my attention. Though it has interestingly, and maybe this is just the, um, maybe this is just like the juxtaposition of this game versus, uh, uh, like, and well, so this game actually versus WoW, because they are sort of attempting to be in the same space in a way. Make which has made me realize. Um, I, I, to actually talk about this, I want to explain something a little bit different. Okay, so something I do for my job sometimes is I will play games that are different than that, that are like in established genres or whatever, but that are that are out, out yet. And a lot of times, what people want to do is they want to do a fusion, right? So they want to do, oh, I want to do, um, you know. Well, whatever the case may be, this one was a MOBA and a third-person shooter, right? So it was, uh, you are you are in a third-person shooter, but there's big minions running down a lane, there's lanes, there's a jungle and everything like that. And something that was interesting about this was that game had MOBA-like abilities that in a MOBA work great, but in a third-person shooter work terribly, right? So for instance, I played a character who had a... Um, kind of a uh like a long range global snipe ability so think like jinx rocket ezreal's ultimate something kind of like ash's ultimate and something kind of along those lines right like it creates a projectile and shoots across the entire across the entire map these are great for a moba right but they're terrible for a third person shooter and here's why in a third person shooter you're looking over the the shoulder of your of your character whereas on a moba you're isometric so when you're isometric you're looking at a plane right the camera is perpendicular to the plane and when you're drawing a skill shot you are essentially drawing on a plane and it's very easy to see and very easy to sort of like telegraph that stuff right so 
when I'm aiming an Ezreal ultimate, because I'm looking, I'm looking perpendicular onto the plane. It's it's easy for me to sort of aim because of my ability to sort of see how that skill shot looks, right? When I was in the third person shooter, because the camera is mostly behind behind my shoulder, right? When I'm when I'm looking down the sights, aiming this ability, I'm going parallel to the plane, right? Like the plane is under me, and I could I could I can see like another person's like nameplate through the like through the 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 fog. So I know that I'm vaguely aiming towards them, but like I don't have the same ability to like aim and the same satisfaction of like nailing an Ezreal ult because of the way that camera is oriented. And I think uh Outriders has a very similar problem. One of the things that Outriders does is it places on the world uh like indicators that like mechanics are going to go off, right? There is going to be fire in this ring and you have to like look down. But because the that is on the ground and the camera is in the third person, it's actually kind of difficult to see like the stuff that is under you compared to something like wow where you can zoom the camera out by a lot and you can really look look down at the floor and you can see like not just that so there's something under you right but you can see like there are a variety of different sorts of things that the camera can place under you really i mean i'm, I'm saying wow but like any mmo right um and so like in wow you have swirlies right you have uh circles that you need to soak you have you can do a lot of interesting stuff with this because of the way that you can view the mechanics on the map um, which is something that I do think is frustrating about Outsiders and I think holds the genre back and makes me wonder about how, like, Destiny can do it because it's first fucking person, which is, like, the worst that you could possibly do, right? Because you just cannot see your feet at all. And, like, does Destiny have mechanics like that where you have to, like, dodge things? Like, you, you, there is something on the ground, you have to dodge it? I feel like the answer is not really, right? Not, not in particular. Like, like dodging, it's like a weird thing too, because like there's like no rolling in Destiny, right? Like, um, my like that, like everything you have to do is like very clearly telegraphed. Um, also, like I feel like a lot of those things like float in the air, right? Like they're like, like at eye level rather than being like on the ground for the most part. Or, oh, like, so it'll got, be like, like a, an orb at eye level, yeah. That or like you know it'll have like a spire in the middle to indicate like you know like like uh. Like, where, like, it's very hard to, like, it'd be very hard to, like, I don't think there's anything that's just on the ground, right? Like, I think there's, sure. um, maybe I'm forgetting something, but my recollection is, is like, there, there's always some indicator that's, like, in the view space that, that'd be hard to miss. Um, also, a lot of it's just kind of, like, things coming directly at you rather than being, like, uh, than being, like, ground, ground uh, things, ground hazards. Yeah, yeah, I feel like uh, like Destiny is built more like Doom, where you're most of what you're doing is like dodging incoming projectiles, which makes sense, obviously, yeah. because it's um, a uh, first-person shooter. It's a first-person shooter, and so is and so is Doom, yeah. right? Like Doom, Doom sort of works because the weapons are all hit scan, but the enemy weapons are projectiles that you can, you know, that that you can juke, which I think is like honestly probably pretty like pretty good game design, though. Um, the Anthem comparison is that far off. I, I obviously really love uh, Anthem, and I miss Anthem every day. And uh, even though I didn't didn't even really play it when it when it was out, uh, <laughs> um, and it does some things better than Anthem, a lot better than Anthem, and it does some things that I think are a little bit worse than Anthem, uh, which make me a little sad. But you know, we can talk about that more next week. That's just yeah. a preview. 
Yeah, I've also been playing Outriders. Have not been playing uh, so much myself, but uh, that'll be a thing to talk about uh, next week. What else? Uh, I don't know if I've been doing anything interesting. Otherwise, you know, um, have I watched any interesting uh, YouTube essays? Because that's the uh, that's the that's that's what's taking up that's what takes up a lot of my time these <laughs> days, right? Like, um, yeah, that's true. I feel that for sure. Um, there was a. I don't know if I, I watched anything particularly good. I watch a lot of cooking videos on YouTube. I really like uh, cooking videos. Is this gonna be a cooking? Is this gonna be a cooking uh, stream? No. no <laughs> are you gonna, you know are you gonna make? Are you gonna make oh. some some? That would have been uh, last Gabagool. week's. That would have been last week's episode. We didn't. We didn't do an April Fool's episode this year, because uh, because <gasps> the Monday didn't fall right. Right, I wasn't thinking about it because we did pizzas last time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, we got we 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 need to make a we need to make an episode about Gabagool and Capricol. Yeah, I mean, Cause, if I ever get around to watching fucking Sopranos, then that'll be. Do that. you do you say Gabagool or do you say Capricol? I say Gabagool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because my I think that might be a, my dad lived in Italy, and so he says Capricol. He says hey, sure. we're gonna we're gonna have some Capricol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, this is so. This is like a you know a very um, how do I want, like this is this is a this is a very Italian American thing, right? Like like the I I find this endlessly fascinating personally, right? Like the kind of like that accent, that Italian American accent, was a thing that was like a peasant accent over in Italy that came over with the the wave of Italian American immigrants, um, but uh, basically got like educated out of the system in Italy, right? Um, like, you know, people, like, people don't speak like that in Italy anymore because, like, it, it was, like, it's kind of like a bumpkin accent that doesn't happen, that doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. But, you yeah, know, sure. no one, no one taught formal Italian to the Italian-American immigrants, right? So, like, um, it survives mostly in, like, North Jersey and in, like, the Boston area. Um, and there's, like, rules that you can figure out, right? Like, like, the, the C to G, right? Like, Calamari's, like, Galamad, like, you drop off the last syllable and, like... I think they're like 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 if your dad says Capricol, right? Like that's like most of it, or that's part of it, but it's not like the the whole thing. Um, but uh, I don't know. And it's something that is that is super interesting. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff yeah. of that stuff too, right? Like I um, mean, there's a. Uh, have you ever seen the Italian spelling bee? Which uh, it has a guy from The Sopranos, and it. it's like a it's like an SNL thing. Maybe it's like a college humor thing. But like the spelling bee, it's like spell mozzarella. And then one person gets up there and she goes like M O Z Z A R E L L A, and the other person does M O T T S D E L. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that one, that's right. I might, I'm butchering this. I, I haven't yeah. watched this in a while, but <laughs> no, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's it's uh, it's just uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's it. I don't. Know, it it it's so like there's like real culinary stuff there too, right? Like chicken parmesan, chicken parmigiana, right? Chicken parm is not like a traditional Italian dish. A traditional Italian dish is eggplant parm, but there was so much like abundance of meat in the New World that like, or like you know, abundance of like in the New World. Well, it's not the New World, <laughs> right? Because over here. Well, because it's not the new world, right? Because like, the, sure. I mean, tom tomatoes were a new world, right? Like, tomatoes had to make yeah. its way back to make its way into Italian cooking. But like, in that wave of Italian American immigrants in like the uh, late nineteenth, early twentieth century, um, meat was much more plentiful than it was in Europe, is my understanding of it. And that's where like we get like veal and chicken parm from, 
um it's not a thing that's like that nearly so much also kind of like um like uh the, like certain like bosses right like i think i think it's bolognese isn't like like but it's it's just like slightly different in america but too like like there's like it's a little bit more like regional in italy but like we have like the one version that like um was solidified over here or like i like alfredo alfredo's a little bit more controversial right because like like having cream or milk in your Alfredo isn't a thing that like like that's not it's not a yeah thing that's to... something my dad told me is that Alfredo or well, I, I don't think he was talking about Alfredo but he was talking about cream sauces that cream yeah. sauces are an American thing they're not an Italian thing yeah m mostly it's like a uh, butter and cheese emulsified with with some some of the pasta water like that like the, like true Alfredo is like is this is like a table sauce it's like when you make um like you know like you make the pasta and you throw it in the dish and then you put in a little bit of the pasta water and it's like just cheese and butter and you just like keep mixing it until it's emulsified. Um, you know, the American version is also tasty. It's just different, right? Like you know, it's a whole, whole different thing. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> this is not a food podcast. Slowly um, becoming some derps talk about food, wherein yeah. I say that I ordered takeout eight days a week. Uh, <laughs> did I? I don't think I made anything interesting this this week, so I can't even talk about like uh, super super cool things. I made I made I made Smash Burgers on Saturday, which I love, but are not like super culinarily. What are, what are, what are Smash Burgers? What's um, the difference between a Smash Burger and anything else? So like a, a Smash Burger is you take the you take the the patty or like you take the ground beef and you put it in a ball and you put it on your cooking surface and you smash it with the um with like your uh, burger flipper. Um, and it like if you do it right, like you. Oh, it's, and and it's super, it's super flat, super flat, and super like it gets super caramelized on the edges if you do it quite right. I'm, I'm not super great at it, but like you know, it's uh, it's a thing. Like I've the, definitely eaten those before. Yeah, uh, like at restaurants and stuff, but I I don't think I ever knew them as smash burgers. Yeah, the 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 polar opposite is is the um is like the steakhouse burger, which is like a thick, juicy burger. It's like more about like the like you know like having like you can get like a you can't get a smash burger medium rare because the whole point is like you smash it down and you cook it for like thirty seconds it's like too thin to have like a real center to it. Um, do you get like, do you get steakhouse burgers medium rare? Um, I don't usually get steakhouse burgers, right? Like, um, but uh, okay, yeah, I, I never I get my burger. I like I I like my steaks more rare, but uh. I, I never get burgers right because I'm like, what the fuck is rare ground beef? That's yeah, not. Yeah, no, there, there's, like... <laughs> there's more danger there because, like, the, the reason you can do, like, a rare steak is the uh, is the center. Like, you know, like, the center is, like, hidden from the world, right? Like, you just have to, like, sanitize the outside, whereas ground beef is all outside. Yeah, um, yeah. Nick, do you have any pressing food opinions? <laughs> You're guess. asking me about food? <laughs> Fair <laughs> um, I'm sitting here eating chicken nuggets and french fries. Oh my god. Um, honestly, I am also Italian. I do like Italian food, but not real Italian food. The Americanized Italian food. Particularly because I really eat like chicken for the most part. Chicken and fish. So <laughs> I, I think of chicken tenders. Or chicken fingers the other I mean, day, or I guess those are the same, or whatever. And it was like, like the most amazing thing I've like ever eaten because I was like driving all day, and I like I got into, I just like went into a drive-through and like a Jack in the Box, and I got some some chicken tenders, and I was like, these chicken tenders are the best thing I've ever eaten. Yeah, 
but at the same time, this is really me saying that you guys get to go talk about food. I'll sit over here in my corner realizing that I generally don't have a valid opinion when it comes to food. Or, well, uh, uh, so, so this is, I think, an interesting question for the panel. What's your favorite uh, chicken tender dipping sauce? Oh, but I might as barbecue sauce. I don't know if what what's yours. Uh, I I'm a big fan of honey mustard. Like that's like my my general go to. I'm not a honey mustard person per se. Nick, what is uh what is your favorite dipping sauce? I said barbecue at the exact same time you said barbecue. Oh, okay, okay, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there is a place in LA called Top Tenders that uh, that makes like chicken tenders and they do chicken tenders and waffle fries and it is a. Uh, it's a good one. It's tasty. <laughs> I don't know what else to right. say. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself as the weirdo here. What What do you guys like dipping your fries in? Oh, obviously ketchup. Come on, uh, you're gonna I, you're gonna do. I don't dip my fries. Okay, fair enough. I'm a big mayo guy. I like the mayo. I like the European the European way. I also like malt vinegar, but um, that would that would have gotten you bullied in my high school. I remember we used to bully the kids that that did mayo for uh for their fries <laughs> i didn't even know it was enough like i didn't even really know it was a thing in high school i don't i don't understand like you had enough people doing it that you bullied them like, you have like a, like like, you know, like a european i remember one kid specifically who did it who we who we bullied you know like want to get bullied was his name like hans was like oh yes no. I, uh, I, I like the fries from the, from the, from the. No, he was. I mean, he was. Yeah, yeah. He was just like one of us. When I say bullied, I, I, I sort of just yeah, yeah. like lightly teased. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So uh, I think we're at about at the end. Unless you guys wanted to talk about anything else, I think we're at the about at the end of our time. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, follow us on. Or if you'd like to send us an email about uh, the Star Wars FFG system or fries or anything else that we talked about in this podcast, you can email us at subdurbsplaygames at gmail.com. Podcast at subdurbsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subdurbsplaygames where these uh, go out live. Uh, follow us on YouTube and on Patreon if you want and review us on uh, podcast services. Do all those good things. Um, Nick, did you have anywhere that you want to direct people for you? or No, okay. I don't. Don't follow me. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> right don't follow nick anywhere um uh buddy you have anything you're, you're looking to talk about before we, we get out well of here? we happen to have a video game releasing uh this week the dark side detective a fumble in the dark which is the follow-up to the dark side detective point and click adventure game uh comes out on thursday uh on april 15th so if you haven't wish listed if you want to if you want to be be cool and play this cool game that I genuinely think is actually insanely funny. And if you are not sold by that incredibly lame pitch, then you might want to stop by the stream this week, which is me, Buddy Gets Good. I'm playing The Dark Side Detective, A Fumble in the Dark, I think the first two cases. And uh, and I think I'll be voice acting the characters again. The last time I did The, the, the Dark Side Detective, the chat bullied me into voice acting um, all of the all of the characters. And uh, I'm probably going to have to continue that trend on Friday. So. You should record it and release it as DLC. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy cut. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, well, yeah, with that, I'm going to say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>